This is the Future Forward Argos podcast, where we're exploring tomorrow, today, on the radio. Catch us live Wednesdays at 6 p.m. on Student Argos Radio. What memories can help us become a better collective, better people, or maybe, you know, less ambitious? What memories can help us not be, not to become perpetrators? I think that's an extremely important question. The events of the 20th century give us a lot of material to study. From a European perspective, the two world wars, colonialism and the Holocaust mattered especially. What happened when and why? Those are the questions historians engage themselves with. Memory studies, on the other hand, deal with the how question in those regards. How did it feel? I have met with Wolf Kansteiner, memory studies expert and historical theorist at Aarhus University, to talk with him about future outlooks on memory culture and how a computer game about the Holocaust might have lasting impacts on transnational remembrance. Memory studies is a young field, but we can already historicize it. And it's, it's, it's I think, very clear that its origins are linked to a, a history a, a history wave, an interest, especially in, in, in Western societies, in history. Um, in the 19, late 1970s, especially 1980s and 1990s. That's precisely the point in time when, when Western societies had a great interest in actively shaping um, historical consciousness memory in the way that they maybe haven't done before. Starting out 40 years ago, memory studies were born from analog electronic media, a culture of film, television, museums and monuments. Obviously not very interactive and quite top-down. Digital culture, on the other hand, changes the rules of the game. A part, at least, of digital culture is much faster, more interactive, more fluid, and therefore... Um, It is a, it's a, it's a challenge to the way that interpretations were shaped and especially in the way that power worked in the context of public history, collective memory. Because, you know, the way that, that museums, the way that television worked, the way, the way even that film worked is, is there a lot of... Um, a lot of censorship and self-censorship and a lot of power that was directed in one way. And that changes in some uh, contexts, for example, in social media contexts. Memory institutions, like museums, are already digitalized because they cannot craft exhibitions without television screens anymore. Nonetheless, digitalization still mostly works as a one-way street. And many institutions of, let's say, for example, Holocaust memory, they don't want to because if you shape an interactive uh, memory sphere, you're giving up a certain amount of power. You give a certain control of the crafting of a narrative interpretation to the users. One of the most recent controversial discussions is the creation of a computer game about the Holocaust. We have already all kinds of uh, video games with historical themes. We do not have a single mainstream um, video game that deals with the Holocaust. It doesn't exist because people are, the companies that make it, are much too nervous about that. They simply do not want to uh, make themselves vulnerable, also economically. The most decisive question is, how do you develop an intelligent and ethically responsible game? If you can do that, then it has tremendous 
didactic uh, possibilities because it, it, it crosses by definition immediately. Uh, a, it runs across a transnational, transcultural trans, uh, space. I mean, just look at the way that, that generations play video games now. They, they, they play with people in completely different countries, other side of the globe. So it's very clear that it, what can develop here is a type of, of uh, transnational communication about the past that has very, very interesting possibilities. But as yet, uh, we, we don't have, we haven't found a solution yet. Similar games exist already, for example, loosely based on the wars in former Yugoslavia. They are asking serious questions and they're taking questions of survival very seriously in a way that makes the player uh, become be able to identify, to, to, to develop a, a sense of, of to empathize uh, with uh, that situation. So I don't think it's impossible to find a solution to that challenge, but it's difficult. We don't have as yet uh, a solution. We have a complete lack of courage, both on the sides of the public institutions, uh, the national institutions, and on the side of private companies. But Wolf Kahnsteiner says there is a movement, a German foundation founded during the last reparation payments in the 2000s, invests a lot of money into didactic. And they are talking exactly about these questions, challenges and impacts right now. One of my hypotheses is that uh, immersive, simulative digital culture, video games, artificial intelligence, virtual environments. So think about it. I mean, this is, this is a huge challenge. Think about creating a virtual copy of Auschwitz, right? We can't do it. I mean, we can, we can write the algorithms to create a kind of virtual world which functions according to what we think, according to which rules Auschwitz func function. Uh, if you can do that, I think one of the ethical possibilities is to understand complicity in crimes, in mass crimes, in human rights violations, to understand one's own complicity better as one did maybe with more conventional analog uh, kind of electronic media environments where, where the role was, was less passive. So games are great, not just electronic games, not just digital games, but games in general are a fantastic vehicle to, to understand complicity. So that could be, a, you know, in terms of ethical, uh, can be a, a great advantage. And the worst that can happen? The worst one could imagine is that one tries to develop with the best of didactic um, aims. One, one, one succeeds in developing a virtual environment that is then basically used to train uh, perpetrators. But then, of course, it's also very important to recognize that that media in and of themselves, at least not one medium, is not shaping that kind of identity. Perpetrators are created, perpetrators are in history created fairly easily, unfortunately, with or without digital technology, it already exists. And I'm not so sure if, if digital culture will make a big difference in that regard. But after all, Why do issues of the last century matter today? Don't we have enough problems to deal with in present society? The importance of memory culture, wherever it is, is that it renders a self-critical perspective for, for, for the given collective. Holocaust uh, or other types of atrocity memories some, in some cases are a good vehicle for self-critical uh, memory. In other cases, they're not. Um, I think it's very important to, to raise the question in any given collective, in any given country, what memories can help us become a better collective, better people, or maybe, you know, less ambitious, what memories can help us not, be, not to become perpetrators? I think that's an extremely important question, but I think in, in, in 
the, the answers to these questions are very context-specific. There is not one recipe that fits all, all these different settings. Therefore, you know, the Holocaust memory is, is a great uh, possibility and, and a great, great place to, to study where self-critical memory worked for a while in Germany. It worked for a while, uh, 10, 15 years or so. From, the, from 1980 to the mid-1990s, it was a fairly active self-critical memory. Nowadays, I think it's less self-critical even in Germany. This is the Future Forward Aarhus podcast, where we're exploring tomorrow, today, on the radio. Catch us live Wednesdays at 6 p.m. on Student Aarhus Radio. Radio.